someday to my home far away where it's glory forever I share so I'll cherish the old road cross till my trophies at last I lay down I will claim to the old road Good morning. This is Pastor Will with Grace and Truth Church meeting once again on this Resurrection Sunday, this Celebration Sunday, this Happy Easter where we celebrate the risen King, our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm so glad to be able to prepare a message even though we can't meet once again in in person uh, like some of you have sent message to me saying that the churches might be empty, but so is the tomb. Praise God. This is the greatest day that we are celebrating in remembrance of the risen King in the Christian faith. And we want to discuss that, bring to remembrance all the wonderful things accomplished on our behalf uh, through the atonement of our Lord Jesus Christ. This great, great um, victory that was accomplished through the, through the uh, determinate counsel of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God had a great plan. Jesus made the payment. The Holy Spirit empowered that plan. And it came to pass. And now we stand in the grace provided by our Lord Jesus Christ through faith. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for this day. We love you. We thank you for everything that this day represents for your wonderful gift to the church, to humanity, Father, to make a way back to you through the cross, through the atonement. We thank you, Lord, and we just ask that you plant this seed of your word into good ground today, that we protect it and allow it to take root and bear fruit in our lives, that we have great revelation, knowledge, and understanding of what has taken place on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise be to God. I want to start off in Matthew chapter 28, and I just want to be very brief in the scripture right here as it represents the risen king. The first verse of Matthew chapter 28, after the Sabbath, which was Saturday back then, that was the Jewish Sabbath. So on Sunday, the first day of the week, which is represented as today. So after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Praise God. That is the victory that we have in God. This is the most important thing that could possibly be understood by Christians. And we need to make sure that we understand the gravity, the importance of this empty tomb. And the fact that God, through agency of the Holy Spirit, had raised Jesus from the dead even before that angel came and rolled that that uh, stone away and sat there. Can you imagine being chosen for that task? I'm sure that angel was so happy to be assigned that job that day. Praise be to God. I want to start off by talking about the significance. Why People wonder why it's so important. Why Jesus had to do this. Why did God send his own son? Why would God let his son be treated this way? We've been talking about this some, and I know that most of you as Christians understand, but there are all levels of Christianity, some just peeking through the window, some just sticking their toe in the water to see how it, the temperature is. Others that have been involved and uh, are quite mature in their faith but we want to speak to everyone because Jesus died for everyone there is no one excluded there is no part of the world where you are born or no faith under or religion under which you may have been born or what mama and them did that or any sin that you've committed that keeps you from receiving freely the gift of salvation offered through Jesus Christ because of what he accomplished on this Resurrection Sunday. You know, the root problem of mankind is not specific sins, but the fact is that we've all gone our own way. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the, and the punishment or the payment for that sin is death. So we have all gotten off into rebellion of some sort, our own self-will, turning our back on God and, and going and doing our own thing. You know, that, that attitude that it's my life and uh, I like the forgiveness part, but I'm not going to let anyone tell me to, what to do. Well, that self-centered ideology is what has separated mankind from God. And it is rampant in the world in which we live. Isaiah 53, we've been talking about at some length. But I just want to lay out a quick um, rundown of the things that led up to, to today. Um, and, and, and just to bring to our remembrance some of the things that have taken place without getting into the scriptures. or I just want to lay out a sort of a timeline about the death and resurrection of Jesus. <clears throat> Remember that they had plotted to kill Jesus. Um, this was all part of God's plan. He, he, he made it. It all worked out perfectly. It's the greatest military and uh, spiritual and legal 
triumph and victory in history of mankind and of the world. And it was accomplished by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But remember what we talked about last week, how Jesus, he was resolute. He was determined to accomplish all the things that God had prepared for him to do and to be that that free will offering, that sacrificial lamb of God. And he purposed in his heart to get to Jerusalem for this Passover week to, to, to let it all transpire. The religious leaders had plotted against Jesus to kill him. Judas had betrayed betrayed him Um, the disciples enjoyed the last passover meal with jesus in the upper room and um, jesus washed the disciples feet and he had this last supper with them as it were he he predicted a lot of things he told them many times about his his death but they didn't quite get it uh, until afterwards but uh, he predicted on that fateful night about Peter's denial of him. And um, he explained to them some things. He spoke from his heart on that last fateful night about uh, about the Father, about the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit who would come and how it was good that he was leaving so that the Father would send the promised Holy Spirit and he could be with all of us all the time. And he taught that apart from him, he, we could do nothing, that Jesus himself is the vine and we are the branches and we have to stay connected. He has to be our daily bread and we have to feed on him and give him the glory and the honor and stay connected. It's a relationship and without him, we will just dry up and wither away because we're nothing apart from him. He he warned the disciples and, and, and is warning us now that the world will hate you if you try to live and as you continue to live for the Lord because it hated him first. But if that's the reason they hate you, then that's okay. You're blessed. Just don't let it be for other things, ungodly things that they hate you. But Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit. He taught about, he about he gave us the authority to use his name in prayer and said that the Father would grant whatever we prayed according to his will because we love Jesus, we love him, and we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. He prayed that night. He prayed earnestly. He prayed for himself. He prayed for the disciples. He explained to them the meaning of eternal life, which is in John seventeen three, just knowing the Father and knowing Jesus, this intimate, passionate relationship, and we can enter into eternal life, the moment of our salvation. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven. Eternal life is just is in you now if you have Christ. And knowing him and growing in that that, that relationship is what uh, the meaning of eternal life is. Jesus prayed also for the future believers, which is, represents us uh, on that fateful night. He agonized in the garden and great drops of sweat became his blood. He agonized so, so much in, in the garden and the angel came and tended to him and and he was betrayed then and arrested in the garden. He allowed that to happen. And uh, he was put through a series of mock trials and, and mistreated throughout the night. Uh, he went to Anna's house and then he went to Caiaphas, the high priest. He went to, um, um, you remember Jesus as uh, Peter denied him in the uh, in the courtyard there the third time and then he looked and Jesus was looking at him and the rooster crowed 
I'm just trying to paint a picture in your mind of all the things that Jesus had gone through that last fateful night to accomplish the things that he's accomplished. And then the council of religious leaders, they condemned Jesus as we knew they would. It was a a mock trial. They had people come and lie about him. It was in the middle of the night, which is another bad sign. Um, And Jesus was, he was taken before Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman um, um, uh, general that was there to uh, oversee the, uh, the, uh, the, the Jewish uh, nation that, that they had invaded. And uh, Herod was the king of the, the Jews at the time, but he was really in, in bed with the uh, Romans. Um, but he went before Pilate. Pilate sent him before Herod. They mocked him and, and dressed him up. And, and uh, he sent him back to Pilate. And uh, Pilate didn't want to crucify him. He found no wrong in him. But he finally agreed with the, the Jewish uh, people whose voices were louder and uh, convinced him that he would be in trouble with Rome if he didn't. And he turned him over to be crucified. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was... Um, he was taken away and crucified and he died on the cross. He forgave. He prayed for those who crucified him. And uh, remember the two uh, thieves on the cross that he was uh, crucified, one on each side of him. One of them mocked him and the other one um, asked him to remember him when he came into his kingdom. And Jesus so sweetly promised him that that day he would be with him in paradise. Jesus was laid in a tomb uh, and he was, uh, guards were posted there by the Roman authorities. They put a seal on it. They put Roman guards outside of this. It was a very important thing. If they, uh, if something happened, they would be in a lot of trouble. They put their seal on it just to make sure that no one would steal this body. And, uh, it just gave us more credence to the fact that this really happened. But Jesus did rise from the dead. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to um, the other women, his mother included. He um, he appeared to a couple of believers that day on the road to Emmaus. He had a wonderful Bible study. He concealed himself uh, in, in, um, in by by what they could see, but he they couldn't recognize him um, with their eyes. In other words, but he opened himself up in scriptures and, and had a great Bible study with them, uh, revealing himself all the way from the Old Testament to the present. And uh, then he appeared to the disciples, all except for he appeared to Peter. He appeared to the disciples, all except for uh, Thomas. And then he appeared to all of them, including Thomas. And for a period of forty days, Jesus appeared to he appeared to over five hundred people at one time. And then he gave them the Great Commission, and they saw him ascend to heaven after 40 days. And then on the 50th day was the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit, the Father sent the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, which was the beginning of the ministry of the disciples and the church. And it was a beautiful time. So having said that, I just want to reflect on this a little bit. The fact is that because of this problem that that man had this rebellion, this separation from God. God wanted a solution. He he longed to extend mercy, 
but he couldn't. I want to show you in Scripture. I've got my other Bible here in Exodus chapter 34. I think this paints the picture very clearly. Exodus chapter 34. This is when Moses had chiseled out the the first two tablets of uh, uh, the Ten Commandments, and he brought them before the Lord, and the Lord introduced himself to him and told him his name. He called himself the Lord. In verse 5 of Exodus chapter 34, it begins and says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You see, there's a paradox there. There's a problem. God himself had a problem. He, he longs to extend mercy. God is love. But at the very foundation of his throne is justice. And so he can't compromise his own justice in order to forgive, which is really his desire. So there's a great paradox revealed there in Exodus 34. And there's a tension it's something that God needs to resolve and he desires to resolve because his nature is to forgive. But because of his justice, he can't leave the guilty unpunished. His justice demands punishment. His mercy longs to offer the sinner forgiveness and pardon. And the only way to resolve this was for God himself to become the sinner's substitute. And so he sent Jesus the Son of Man, the last Adam, fully man and fully God. Romans chapter 3, verses 25 and 26 says, The seat of atonement, the mercy seat, which which hid in the ark the Ten Commandments, broken by man, when sprinkled with blood once a year, the Day of Atonement, Jesus, became for us. God did this to demonstrate His justice, So he would be just in showing his mercy. He needed an atoning sacrifice. And that's what Jesus became. Let's go back to Isaiah 53, where we were last week. It's so powerful. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract him, to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we would desire him, that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely He took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds or by his stripes we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us Each of us has turned to his own way. There's the problem I was just speaking about. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. You know, he could have called upon a league of angels to come and rescue him. He did not. He was a willing and obedient sacrifice because he loves us and he saw past the cross, despising its shame. He saw you and he saw me. And we should be forever thankful. Verse 8. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering... He will see his offspring and prolong his days. Talking about the resurrection now, the new life, and the Lord, and and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life. That's what we're celebrating today, and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore. I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. That's you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. Remember, he was had a thief on each side of him. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Remember, he prayed, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. He was crucified with sinners and he prayed for his enemies. Think of that next time we want to hold on to unforgiveness. Jesus is our example. And until we've gone that far, we haven't gone far enough. Praise be to God. I just want to I want to point out again the importance, the significance of the empty tomb. Because without it, nothing else matters. All of the claims, all of the benefits all of the blessings that are yours now in christ all the promises of god in christ are yes and amen let me tell you they would not have been had that tomb not been empty had he not been resurrected from the dead had he been laid in his tomb and stayed there like muhammad and like buddha and like all the others um, that people worship around the world that are that are not gods at all jesus is the only way to god He is not one way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Him. So let's talk about these things from Isaiah. Remember Isaiah 53, 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That iniquity in the Hebrew in the Old Covenant, because Isaiah was written in Hebrew, the word is avon, just like ding-dong, avon calling. And it really means the the guilt the or the perversion of God's truth, of God's law. The rebellion of man was laid upon Jesus. God the Father placed upon Jesus the guilt, the perversity, the rebellion of us all, and the evil consequences that come from that. So we need to really consider everything that's been accomplished through the atonement, the perfect work of Calvary. There are lots of things that God did that day. 
there are ten things that 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 we can focus on that that, that God placed upon Jesus. Jesus, our, our substitution, our kinsman redeemer, as it were, the sacrificial lamb of mankind. He placed all of our just penalty our for our guilt on Jesus. And Jesus was punished so that we could be forgiven. He was wounded. He, he was beaten. He was damaged so that we could be healed. By his stripes, we were healed. That's what it says in Isaiah 53. And then again, Peter says that in the New Covenant, in 1 Peter 2.24, he puts it in the past tense. By, past tense, by his stripes, you were healed. You have been healed. That's something that's, uh, that's not only past, but present and ongoing. It never ends. That healing is part of ours now as our inheritance for what Jesus endured on the cross through this divine exchange. He was punished for our forgiveness. He was wounded so we could be healed. He was made sin with our sin. He took our sin that we could be made righteous with his righteousness. See the exchange? See the blessing? See the benefit? Jesus tasted death for all of us so we could share his life. He was made a curse that we might receive the blessing. Deuteronomy chapter 28, and I, I encourage you to read it and study it. It's, it's very lengthy. It lists out in the Old Covenant all of the curses that came from being disobedient to God's law and then all the blessings that came from being obedient to God. Well, Jesus was made a curse in, in Galatians 3, verse 13 to 14. talks about Jesus became the curse for us. Everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. And so that's what it's talking about here is that he took the curse upon his body so that we could receive the blessing. So so in other words, our our humiliation, our mental and physical sickness, our family breakdown, our oppression, our poverty, our defeat, our failure and God's disfavor. All of these things are aspects of the curse. Jesus took that upon his body on the tree. Becoming a curse for us. So that we could only enjoy the blessings. And not the curse. We are freed from every aspect of the church, of the curse. If we are part of the body of Christ. He endured our poverty. This is talking about financial and physical provision. He endured our poverty, our poverty, so we could have his abundance or share in his abundance. Poverty, hunger, thirst, nakedness, and the lack of all things. Jesus endured those things on the cross. Remember, one of the the last things he said on the cross is, "I thirst." As he hung there, suspended between heaven and earth, rejected by both, naked. Remember, they gambled for his clothing. He was thirsty. He was hungry. He hadn't eaten for over 24 hours. He was lacking in all things. That's the essence of poverty. He he became that for us. Everything in the Bible is there for a reason. There are no insignificant details he was making a divine exchange. Why else would God step down from his throne 
and allow himself to be treated this way. He did it for you. He did it for me. Talking about the prosperity, there's a couple of scriptures. Look in 2 Corinthians quickly, if you're following with me. Chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, and then we'll look at chapter 9, verse 8. 8, 9, and 9, 8. 2 Corinthians is talking about the the provision uh, uh, that he made, the exchange that he made, our poverty for his abundance. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, the the significance of the word grace here is nothing we earn, nothing we deserve. The unearned, unmerited favor and blessing of God. That's everything accomplished through the atonement, through the cross, through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is grace. Nothing we can do to earn it. Nothing we've done to deserve it. It's a free gift of God. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now look over to the next chapter, chapter 9 and verse 8. And God is able to make all grace, he says all five times in this, this, and again, The center is around the grace. It's nothing you can do to earn it or deserve it. Just just get get used to the fact that you're not ever going to be in a place where you're you're due these rewards. This is all because of what Jesus has done. Your inheritance in, in Christ is just because you've put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's all based on what he did. So quit being so introspective and looking at what you've done and focus on what you've become through the new man, the new birth. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God wants you to prosper. He wants you to prosper financially. He wants you to prosper physically. He wants you to prosper in every way. And the greater blessing is you're blessed to be a blessing. It's not all about you, although, you know, the sprinkler always stays wet. So, yes, you you and your family, he wants to provide for you. He wants to give his children good gifts, just as you do your children. However, the, the greater blessing, it's, it's, great, it's more of a blessing to give than to receive. So many Christians uh, are missing out right there. They, they think they need to get all they can, can all they get, and sit on their can. But you really are really wanting to be a blessing and never ask God to turn it off or say that's enough or I'm doing fine just how I am. I won't ask for anything else, God. If you say that, it's really unbelief or a lack of understanding. You're saying that you think it's all for you. Really, you're blessed to be a blessing. So how could there ever be enough when you see all of the need and all of the wonderful things that can be accomplished on behalf of God and for the kingdom of God and the world? When you really get an understanding of that, you will learn to sow and to reap a harvest so that you could benefit and prosper and be a part of God's provision and his spiritual law to get provision to his children so that you can be a blessing to the body of Christ and to others around you. He endured our poverty. He bore our shame so that we could share in his glory. 
And here's one thing, the, the, one of the biggest things. I, I would say this is the number one problem with mankind and the reason for so many of the, 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 the errors and the, and the sin and the, and the anger we see in the world today. He endured our rejection so that we could have his acceptance with the Father. And I'm going to get into a scripture here, Matthew chapter 27, where we started out today. Real quickly, I want to go to Matthew chapter 7, verses 45 and 46, because I think I need to elaborate on this rejection issue, because everyone struggles with rejection of some form or another, whether you know it or not. Maybe just talking about this will show some of us where we have struggled unnecessarily in this life. Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 and... Let's see, 46. Now from the sixth hour, that's, that's noon, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. That's 3 p.m. This is when he was hanging on the cross. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. That means in Aramaic, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then skip down to verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. At this time, when Jesus was about to give up his life, give up the ghost, God had completely forsaken him, completely rejected him. Because God is so holy and so pure and so good that he can't look upon sin. And Jesus had taken all of your sin, all of my sin, <coughs> all of our shame, all of our curse all of our poverty, all of our rejection, all of our issues, all of our brokenness. This, this feeling of rejection is just being unwanted or feeling unworthy or excluded. Have you ever felt that way? As an outsider looking in, as someone who wants to share in the love but is unloved, is, who's lonely, who is in despair, who really wants to be accepted but never feeling like they are. I tell you, I, I've been into the the prison system, and and I've and and I've and I've talked to other ministers who who deal with gang members and 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 people with all sorts of issues, and they are always based on this rejection. This rejection or this feeling of rejection or brokenness will drive people into the arms of people they should not go and into directions and to, uh, to, to amongst the folks that they feel they might be accepted by, but it causes more problems. And really, it's, it's the enemy just driving and steering them into the wrong places. You, you remember that old song, looking for love in all the wrong places? Well, that's exactly what people do, and that's why their lives end up how they are because they do not understand 
that through the cross, Jesus endured their rejection so that they could be accepted with the Father. And once you get a real revelation of this, it will not matter to you what man thinks of you because you will take up your true identity in Christ alone. You will realize that your home is in heaven and that you are an ambassador here of his grace, of his love, of his peace. And that one day he will return for his children. If the Lord tarries and you don't go home to him before and come back with him when he comes, then he will come to get you. Amen. So you have acceptance with the Father through the atonement of Jesus Christ. All your loneliness, all your unworthiness, all your exclusion. Forget about that. God has made a home for you. And it is with Him. You are part of the family of God. You are a child of God. Look in Ephesians chapter 2 quickly. I just want to remind you of a scripture there. Ephesians chapter 2. It's talking about the condition of all mankind before this act, before this death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension and enthronement of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2. Excuse me, fingers are not cooperating. Ephesians chapter 2, and verse 12. Paul, talking about the condition of man before Jesus, remember that you, that's all of us, were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's a terrible, a terrible thing. Just think of that, with no hope, without God in the world. And that's how people feel, and that's what drives them to do the things that they do. But look at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby Killing the hostility. That's awesome. This the scripture I read from Matthew a moment ago. When Jesus gave up the ghost and said, My God, why have you forsaken me? This this divine exchange had taken place in the spiritual realm. And God the Father, there used to be a, a huge heavy curtain separating the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was, and the the ark was uh, below below the mercy seat. And one year, one day of the year, one priest could go in there and put blood on the mercy seat, so that God could not look into the ark and see the broken commandments and the the uh, the bottle, the jar of manna that that man had that he had made perfect provision for man in the desert, but they had grumbled and complained against that, and the staff of Aaron that had bud, budded and bore olives because and which represented to God as he looked upon it, remembering how the the people had rebelled against his leadership, 
All these things are covered by the blood of Jesus. And now they didn't have to do that with the, the blood of goats and lambs any longer. Jesus himself went to heaven. He went into the true tabernacle, the true temple, which was which the one on earth is just a replica of what Moses had been told. But there is one just like that in heaven, but much greater. Jesus entered in himself with his own blood. That's why he said, don't touch me yet to the, to the, to Mary. But he had, because he hadn't gone to his father yet, he went and he placed his own blood on the atonement seat, seat once and for all. Now, when God looks down, all he sees is Jesus. He either sees Adam, the fallen man, or he sees a child of God who has received Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And that's us today. And we thank him for it. Because without him, there was no hope. And we were without God in this world. We were unwanted. We were unworthy. We were excluded. We were outsiders looking in, unloved and lonely and desperate. But Jesus fixed that. God's infinite holiness and righteousness and purity made him reject Jesus and that's why he turned away from Jesus at that time and Jesus became fully man and he said my God my God why have you forsaken me and he spoke it in Aramaic he went back to the the language of his childhood and he was so lost and broken and I really believe that this is what killed Jesus his broken heart because his father had turned his back on him but the reason he did it he purposefully did it. He did it. He gladly did it, even though it caused so much pain and temporarily bankrupted heaven because Jesus was everything to the Father. But he did it because he wanted a family that would choose him for him. That's you. That's me. And he was glad to do it. And Jesus was a willing sacrifice on our behalf. He endured our rejection. He bore our shame so we could share in His glory. He endured our rejection so we could have acceptance with the Father. He was cut off from heaven and from earth that we might be joined again with the Lord, our God, our Father in heaven. The old man, the sinful man, this corrupted sin nature that we all came with under a curse from the time of Adam to till the time of Jesus, everyone born, was born under a curse, born with the sin nature of Satan in them. And that old man was put to death. We were crucified with Christ so that the new man might come to life in us. We were crucified with Christ. That's what it says. Um, if you're still in Ephesians, just turn back one page, maybe two, to the Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. And I'm closing right here. Galatians 2 and verse 20. Praise God. Galatians 2 and verse 20 says that I have been crucified. This is how Paul described his, his new life in Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify or frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. We have been given the gift of Jesus' righteousness as an exchange for our sinfulness. Thanks be to God. 
Our old man was crucified. It is no longer that old man who lives. So quit identifying with your old sin and your old sin nature. Even though some of your old friends look at you and they say, remember when, and I know who you are, and you're just a hypocrite. If you really were born again, that man is dead. That's no longer who you are. The man you are or the woman you are is what God says you are in the new covenant. And you need to focus on that. Focus on things above and not on things of the earth. You're becoming more and more like Jesus as you focus glory to glory. And as you feed on the daily manna from heaven, Jesus Christ himself, the word of God, the word of truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And you're becoming more and more like him. And when you see him, again, you will be like him. Is what the Bible says. Praise be to God. Man's problem, his biggest problem, is the rejection issue that we talked about. And I, I know that that's what actually killed Jesus, this broken heart. In Matthew 27, verses 45 and 46 and 51, it talks about this in Ephesians chapter 1. Since I'm already right there, I'm just going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, and then we'll finish. But I want you to know that you don't have to deal with any of the aspects of the curse. You don't have to identify with your old past sin. Your old old man is dead. With along with all the sin and all of the the cursing and all of the curse and all of the poverty and all of the shame and all of the rejection. And now you are made one with Christ and you are seated with Him in heavenly places. You are a child of God. You are in the family of God. And when God looks at you, He sees perfection he sees jesus he sees you by the spirit god is a spirit john 4 24 and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth you are a spirit with a soul or a personality and you're just riding around in this sinful body of flesh which is really dead and it died with christ on the cross and now the life that you live in this body the holy spirit empowers you to to live and so that's the way you need to see it the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and gives life to your mortal body. So what actually killed Jesus, this brokenheartedness, this rejection, has been changed and exchanged now for everything good that he enjoyed with the Father and enjoys with the Father again now. In Ephesians 1, it describes this for us so beautifully. So I want to read it to you. Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 8. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. This was God's plan. That we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of His will. To the praise of His glorious grace. With which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of His grace. His grace. His grace. Nothing we earned. Nothing we can do to deserve it. Which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Making known to us the mystery of His will. According to His purpose which He set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in Him. Things in heaven. And things on earth praise be to god all of these wonderful divinely ordained exchanges have taken place 
The empty tomb is what makes it all true. That's the significance. If Jesus had remained in his grave, then everything he said would have just been talk. Just like so many other religious leaders of world history. But Jesus is the real deal. He is the Son of God. Everything he said, every promise he made, everything, all the divine exchanges that took place through the atonement, all of the things that he's offered up that are that, that have been provided by grace are now yours. But we have to have understanding and faith to appropriate what Jesus has provided by his grace, by the atonement. You notice in the parable of the four soils, the first one, the first parable, these are all four conditions. These four soils are conditions of man's heart. Only the first one is the one that Satan is able to steal the word from, which is able to save us. That's the person that lacks understanding. We have to pray for revelation knowledge, for understanding of God's word. We have to be discipled. We have to get in the word and we have to get gain understanding and we have to walk in faith. We are called to live a life of faith. We have to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and to learn to appropriate by faith. Faith is the hand that reaches out and grabs or obtains all the things that Jesus has provided through the atonement, all the exchanges made. We need to quit believing the, the lies and deception of the devil. If you are struggling with any aspects of the curse or the poverty or the shame or, or sin issues or any of the things that we describe that were exchanged with you for Jesus' goodness, on the cross, then don't, then stop believing the lie. Start speaking the truth. Start saying what God says and you'll see that come to pass in your life. All the blessings of obedience to God are ours by grace and none of the aspects of the curse. Remember that. Take it into your heart. Meditate on that. Make it your own. Today, purpose in your heart that, that you will not struggle. You will not believe all of the lies of the enemy. You will only believe the things that Jesus has accomplished for you and says you have in him because you do. First, you must believe and then you will receive. The world says, let me see it and then I'll believe it. We have to believe it and then we'll receive it. It's a kingdom of opposites, but it's but it's perfect. It, all of these things have been established and placed on account for you. All you have to do is grow in your understanding of these truths and by faith, write the check. God loves you and so do I. Happy Easter. Happy Celebration Day. Happy Resurrection Day. Christ is risen. Christos Anesti. He lives and He reigns. And one day He's coming, coming back for us. And when we see Him, we will be like Him. He loves you. We love you. We miss everyone. And we look forward to seeing you very soon. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this Resurrection Sunday. We thank you for the empty tomb, Lord. We thank you that you raised Christ from the dead. And that he lives and reigns today. And that all of the things that you have promised through your word and, and through his life, they are true. And we can take have confidence in everything that you say that you have accomplished on our behalf because of the empty tomb. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.